2: and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and this week my guest is Ben Houchen, Tees Valley Mayor. Ben, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, a pleasure. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me on.
2: No, absolutely brilliant to have you on. Now, you are over the border. We've crossed the border from Yorkshire, but you do a lot of work with, with our kind of representatives over here, don't you, especially kind of North Yorkshire way. It's a bit of a cross-border collaboration sometimes, isn't it?
1: Well, I mean, are we over the border? I mean, if you were to speak to many uh, people.
0: True.
1: <laughs> you speak to many people in Middlesbrough and places like Yarm and places like that, they're very um strongly of the view that they're still members of North Yorkshire um, as an old county boundary. And then we're split between Durham, obviously, as the unitaries have taken hold. But um yeah, I mean that puts us in a great place to work with, you know, partners north of the border in relation to Durham and further north in the northeast, but also there's that Historical link with some of our um, towns and villages on the southern end of uh, the Tees Valley to go back into North Yorkshire and work with, you know, whether it's Carl Les at North Yorkshire County Council, right the way across to district councils in Scarborough and Whitby.
2: Yeah, quite right. It's not not quite as far as uh, as we might initially kind of kind of say. I mean, I guess to start off, you're obviously uh, Metro Mayor, and it's something that we're really keen on getting in all parts of Yorkshire and. I think you might disagree, but I think when these Metro Mayor roles were first brought in, there was a bit of a presumption, especially in, you know, areas like yours and in, in across Yorkshire that they would always go to Labour politicians. But you are a conservative. I mean, what do you what do you make of that? Have the have the tides changed?
1: Um, well I think there's the tides have been changing, certainly in the northeastern Teesside, for a long time now. I mean if you yeah. go back to the early 2000s i mean if you look at the the progress or the lack of progress that the labor party have made in every election local national or european since 2005 they've gone backwards uh, mm-hmm. there was always a view that you know 2017 was supposed to be that breakthrough year that you know we would move on from only ever holding one seat in the tees valley which obviously has seven and a half constituencies that covers it um and it didn't really materialize and then obviously the thing that that broke the camel's back because the direction of travel was always in this direction was was brexit it was the messaging from boris it was the general election and obviously it was jeremy corbyn so um all of those have created a perfect storm that the direction of travel has just accelerated and we found ourselves in a place that um, i don't think anybody really saw as being in in this region um in december
2: yeah i mean so tell me tell me about the role really i mean what is the importance of having someone like you banging the drum for for tees valley
1: well i think there's a there's a fundamentally you've got to understand what a combined authority and what a metro mayor is there to do and if you look at the evolution deals that are there across the board actually arguably with the exception of greater manchester because of the health uh, some level of health powers being devolved to the to the area we we are in effect directly elected uh, regional development agencies uh, yeah. so that if, you, if people kind of want to understand what it's actually about we don't empty bins we don't deal with social services We don't fill potholes in. The old regional development agencies that were in the early 2000s, actually they've, to some extent, reborn them. Actually, this organisation that I run did merge from what was called Tees Valley Unlimited and before then was part of the old RDA, and they've made it politically accountable. And they've made it politically accountable to a, a single politician that covers a large number of people, so there's direct accountability to the electorate. And that also helps from a governmental point of view, because instead of a government, um, you know, of any colour, you know, wanting to speak to somebody in Teesside or Yorkshire or North Yorkshire, you know, do you speak to a district council leader? Do you speak to a county council leader? Do you speak to an MP, whoever it might be? And there seems to be where there are Metro mayors an accepted understanding that, you know, you'd pick up the phone to the Metro mayor because they've got the money, they've got some powers, and they've got the ability to affect change. Um, And the analogy that I always draw is, I can never remember which American president said it but it's the same thing when they say well when you want to ring Europe who do you ring and because there are so many people there's a there's a direct phone that you can pick up to a single individual and that works extremely well and it works well for it works really well for investment and job creation because it's it's very business orientated you can pick up the phone to a person you can start to talk to them about doing deals and bringing investment and creating jobs whereas I think the the previous setup of local councils MPs districts or counties was a bit more convoluted when trying to attract that investment.
2: So I think you're completely right. And I think one of the kind of criticisms that people often have when they hear about these devolution deals, wherever it is, across Yorkshire or wherever, is, oh God, it's another layer of local government. But from what you're saying there, it sounds like you know, it's a completely different role that that has its place. Is that the case?
1: Well, it's again, it's it's the, the one of the biggest problems with these organisations because they're so brand new, is getting the public to understand what they're there to actually do. And it's that idea that you're not taking powers away from local councils, uh, districts or counties or unitaries. It doesn't really matter. So their their role doesn't change. What we're trying to do is the whole idea for Metro Mayors is to bring those powers that usually resided in Westminster um, and Whitehall, actually transferring them out of London and back closer to the region on a regional level. And again, it's it's about... That's why I think in the early days devolution is completely focused on economic growth, regeneration, investment, job creation, those old old RDA points, because those are things that local councils don't have the money to do. They don't have the expertise to do it, really, not to do it properly. And again, ultimately, that's been left historically, certainly in recent years, to the Department of International Trade. And with the greatest respect to DIT, they don't necessarily understand what's important to Teesside, what the economy is about, what type of investment we're trying to attract And if you replicate that up and down the country, there are lots of opportunities being missed by towns, cities and regions across the board, because there isn't that local voice making that pitch to investors, not just from other parts of the UK, but internationally as well, because we do a lot of international investment um, and discussions with not just through DIT, but international investors across the globe.
2: So this is all sounds like very similar to, you know, the government's levelling up agenda and these promises to really, you know, hand over powers and make, let decisions be made that are right for particular areas. Does this all, this all plays in together then, I assume?
1: I mean, it's the start, isn't it? I mean, it's fair to say that where there have been devolution deals, then yes, absolutely, that's the start of levelling up. That was the, you know, the reason devolution happened in, in, you know, 2016, ahead of the elections in 2017 for the Metro Mayors, was, you know, George Osborne's and David Cameron's view of the Northern Powerhouse, the Northern Powerhouse, the embodiment of the Northern Powerhouse in practice at the moment. Are the devolved mayors of the north of England. But it's still quite patchy. So, you know, where you don't have a metro mayor or where you didn't have a metro mayor previously, then, you know, many of those people would think, well, what does levelling up mean to us? Whereas it's been quite easy for me to be able to demonstrate, well, this is the start of levelling up. It gives you, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds of money that we wouldn't have otherwise have got. There are powers and decisions that used to be taken in London and now taken in the Tees Valley by a locally accountable elected politician that you can kick out or not. So it's a great start, but again, there are large spheres of the northeast that don't have that representation yet and are still asking the question, well, what does leveling up mean for us?
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, it's really interesting actually that you say about that, because I know in the past that you've kind of complained a little bit that the Northeast and, you know, some parts of North and East Yorkshire as well have been kind of comparatively ignored a bit by some decision makers in favour of places like Manchester and Leeds. I mean, is that Is that still something you're concerned about? Is that still the case or is that getting better, do you think?
0: Um,
1: I think there are lots of positive noises that, especially since the election, I think there's a realisation from government and politicians in Westminster that actually the north of England isn't just a single thing. And, and, And lazily by, you know, obviously people like the BBC in particular are worse for this, but politicians are just the same, that when they speak about the north of England, what they actually mean is Manchester. Um, and I'm sure many of your listeners will realise that Manchester is not representative of the North of England. Yep. No, but that ethos still exists, Jerry. Sorry uh, to keep going, but it's still it's still there. And I think there's some potential decisions that could come down the line where I think government and civil servants could fall into the same trap of trying to level up, but what they actually mean by levelling up is giving more, even more, to Manchester and Leeds and leaving behind places like Teesside, Cumbria, large parts of the Northeast and Yorkshire. Um, because they will lazily label Manchester and Leeds as the North, and therefore that is leveling up and it 's a, it's a really easy thing to do isn 't it? I mean London is not that dissimilar to Manchester. I know there 's a different scale, but they are both city regions with you know city focused economies that have very, very different challenges and very different opportunities to places like Middlesbrough or Scarborough or Harrogate or north allerton it 's just you know very different place altogether
2: absolutely, and I think what I was going to say is. You, you kind of see that in, you know, these ridiculous graphics, I think, is such a good example that you get on the telly when there's a, you know, announcement about the North or something. And, you know, they put Sunderland hundreds of miles away from where it actually is on the map and that kind of thing. And people like me and you sit there with our head in our hands. Um, but, I mean, so... We've got, haven't we, two in Yorkshire, we've already got two deals coming down the road in West and South Yorkshire. And you were backing the idea of devolution in North Yorkshire as well. We spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. And we reported earlier this week that it looks like that deal might be a bit on the rocks. What are you, What's your kind of reaction to those reports?
1: Um, if I'm honest, not not surprised. Um, I reckon. I mean, the issue you've got, and it's one that I've been trying to tell people in Yorkshire for a long time, is that, I mean, the One Yorkshire deal should have been knocked on the head a long time ago. I've never mm-hmm. been in support of One Yorkshire, just because the two fundamental ingredients that every devolution deal has, and you can talk about whether it's perfect or not, absolutely, but the two fundamental conditions you have to have for successful devolution, never mind anything else, is one is you've got to have a single economic area, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that that yorkshire is a single economic area the humber has a very different economy to you know the uh you know the, the the farmers fields of richmond and north yorkshire which is different to the coastal communities in whitby and scarborough so that single community that single economy doesn't exist there's lots of economies within yorkshire and that's then very difficult to manage under a single devolution deal the second thing which is equally as important arguably more important because it this then really gets um People buy in. Is you've got to be a single community, and I get you know I get it I, when I speak to people about this before. They say "Well, yeah, we're all from Yorkshire." So, well, yeah, I'm from Yorkshire. I was born south of the river, and I would consider myself a Yorkshireman as well. But do I feel like I have, or does anybody, for example, from North Ale- North Scarborough, feel like they have a really strong community affinity to people in Rotherham or Bradford? Mm-hmm. I mean, they just they don't. They're all Yorkshiremen, Yorkshire people but it doesn't necessarily mean they're part of the same community. And the reason those two things are so important is because, and, it, and it's why the work it works in Teesside, is because if, if you're going you're gonna to make an investment, let's say in uh, North Allerton train station, and you're going to upgrade it because it's on the East Coast mainline and you're going to spend millions, if not tens of millions of pounds on it. If you're not part of the same community, the next thing that's going to happen is, you know, a, a political representative in, say, Bradford is going to turn around and say, well, if you spend in say ten million pounds in Northallerton. We want ten million pounds in Bradford because they don't see that as an investment in them because it's not their community. Whereas, for example, I can invest, which is what we're doing. I can invest. I can invest um, thirty-five million pounds in Middlesbrough train station, which is you know construction starting in January. And people in Darlington see that as an investment in them because they all feel part of one the same community. But two, that is a cohesive economic area. So, York one Yorkshire is never going to work, and then. You, this is where you get the grey area in North Yorkshire because you do have, I think you do have a single community in North Yorkshire um, and I think you can push the boundaries of that, whether that includes you know, parts of East Yorkshire as well. Um, obviously not for me to decide, but I do think there's a conversation that you could argue same community there. But you can also argue there's a, a single economy, but I know people within Yorkshire would suggest that that's not necessarily the case. And you've got York as a city, you've got Harrogate, you go up to Crofts. You know, Is that actually the same community as Scarborough? Is it the same community as places like North Allerton? And then the, the final thing that always, always causes a problem, because if you then aren't in complete lockstep from the economy and community point of view, that's when I think politics gets in the way. And I say politics in the sense that people st- tend to look at themselves and look, look at protecting their own positions and their own little fiefdoms. And that's always the biggest barrier to devolution, because people think, well, look, I will have devolution. Um, But what does that mean for my position if I'm a leader or if I'm a councillor? And it's made even more complicated in North Yorkshire, because what we're talking about here, Jerry, is is devolution. But what's also gone into the mix of the North Yorkshire deal is uh, local council reorganisation which I think yeah. is, a, is a separate conversation, but is actually being um, convoluted into the same conversation, which is going to make it even more difficult to deliver devolution while you're also having to deliver reorganisation into unitary authorities, which is already difficult enough as it is. Um, yeah. you can, th- it then becomes unsurprising that while I think everybody does want to see devolution, because there are so many of these little things in the mix, um, there are too many different answers to it, and it allows people... Um, legitimate reasons for saying well that's not the right answer because you're not simplifying the decision and that then leads to you know lots of different outcomes which means there is no submission to government because they can't agree on a way forward which which would be unfortunate for the people of north yorkshire
2: oh what a mess what a mess i think i think it's going to be an interesting kind of to see how this goes forward because you're right they are separate conversations this local government reorganization and the devolution but one depends on the other so you know if 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 one doesn't get sorted the other doesn't and I was really interested actually in something you said there about you know not priorities and economic priorities and things not being the same across Yorkshire or across the north because we it's like you said earlier it's quite often you know politicians talk about the north and think everyone wants the same thing or based on Manchester or based on Leeds and I think a really good example of where maybe that hasn't worked is in Transport for the North, which listeners may or may not know is a is is a is a body kind of, you know, <laughs> it's got one of those horrible jargony names that I'm not going to try and get listeners to understand. But you know, it represents transport priorities for the north. But that's now been sidelined really in favour of this new acceleration council. Do you think that is an example of showing that there can't be this pan northern agenda on that because everyone has their own their own piece of the pie to kind of get?
1: Yeah absolutely i do i do agree with that i mean i've sat on t f n since it was created um technically, I think I was reappointed the other day as one of the um, one of the deputies of of t f n uh, deputy chairman of t f n and and the biggest problem with it when you turn up is you 've got the great and the good sat around the table and they try and present arguments on behalf of the north you know Andy Burnham will talk about why you know, transpernine Route upgrade is essential to the north and why it's essential we get the Piccadilly upgrade, and which is why HS2 is essential to the north of England. But actually what he means is it's essential to Manchester. I mean, HS2 is not going to benefit the northeast or large parts of North Yorkshire, actually, for at least the next 15, 20 years, at least. But apparently it's essential to the north of England. And because Andy Burnham stands up and says it, it's presented as this is important to the north of England. And, you know, the platform of TFN... To not just Andy, but whether it's Steve Rolvrum, you know, I make arguments for Teesside that are relevant to me and not relevant to Manchester. They use that as a platform to raise their own concerns. And what that actually means is TFN as an organization cannot move forward because you can't reconcile some of the things that I want to achieve for the Tees Valley that people in the Northwest want to achieve in their areas because it's about limited funding, what funding's available, what funding are we actually bidding for you know, is it because Manchester's the biggest devolution deal um, and everybody thinks Manchester's the north of England, they they are disproportionately favoured in a lot of the TFN work. I absolutely think it was the most ridiculous thing. And I think from the start, I think it was the worst thing that TFN could have done was to move into the Greater Manchester Combined Authority offices because it just creates, by definition, um, an us-and-them mentality of the West Coast to the East Coast, You absolutely find that when anybody talks about northern powerhouse rail, which has its own issues in itself, what they actually mean is Leeds and Manchester. Nobody's talking about the poor connectivity into places like Redcar and Saltburn. Nobody's talking about poor connectivity into Scarborough. Um, All anybody wants to talk about on TFN is rail, because actually what we want to talk about is rail connectivity between Leeds and Manchester. Nobody wants to talk about the poor freight infrastructure or road infrastructure we have in, in large parts of Yorkshire and the Northeast because the, the whole setup is geared towards those areas getting what they want, then trying to present it to the TFN board, and then you've got representatives from across the whole of the north of England saying, well, hang on, this isn't what we want, and it doesn't benefit our people. So I, I don't think TFN is a good use of uh, people's time, and I think we, actually it would be better if more power was devolved to devolved areas but that then is predicated on the fact that we need more areas of the north of england to get devolution deals to take control of their own destiny
2: no absolutely and i think that's something we can all kind of get behind i think we can't we can't end this conversation i think without talking about coronavirus unfortunately that's every conversation at the moment isn't it and i think the, the you know the importance of those devolution deals and the importance of having people like you in place has been shown during the crisis have you felt Part of your role is to, you know, stand up. I'm sure you always feel your role is to stand up for Tees Valley, but especially in, 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 these, in these times and show that leadership.
1: Uh, yes, but it's interesting. I think there's a nuance to it. So um, without boring people listening uh, with the detail, um, I'm not part of the local resilience forum. I mean, local resilience forums are set up across the country and they are there to emergency plan for major incidents. Of uh, which, obviously, coronavirus pandemic is is one of those. So that is actually controlled and run. The, the, the LRFs are run by the local councils. So they have legal responsibility and the powers to enforce um, the guidance, the measures, the legals, and then prepare with the local health services what we do with the pandemic. The one bit that they don't do, and again, it work, it just shows how at the, the minute this dovetails in quite well for the Tees Valley is they're not geared up to, nor do they really have the ability to look at the recovery side. And where we come into our own from a devolution perspective is putting in um financial support and other support to help individuals and businesses to get through it so you know within within four weeks of of kind of the pandemic kick, kicking in we were able to um set up you know welcome back funds back to business funds we, we've spent millions of pounds making sure that businesses are COVID ready to be able to reopen We've um, helped create 100 new apprenticeships uh, for young people, given that young people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus, especially when it comes to starting a career. Uh, We've been able to provide funding where we are funding 100% of an apprenticeship's wages, excuse me, for the first six months of their two-year apprenticeship and then 50% thereafter. Um, And then even more recently, the Kickstarter scheme that the government have got set up. I mean, it's a great Mm -hmm. scheme, but there's a really weird anomaly that you have to apply for at least 30 placements to be able to... The money. So, that anybody who only wants one, two, or maybe even 10 people to come and work in their business can't apply into the Kickstarter scheme. So, what we've done is we've said to those businesses, come and apply through us, we'll collate all of your asks, and then we together will be able to make a bid in for those. And again, just in the last three weeks, we've created 284 um, new jobs from the Kickstarter scheme. So, that's how we can really play a, a role which takes me back to where I said we were at the beginning is because we've got a much more focused role than a a council because we're looking at how do we grow the economy? How do we create jobs? And in the coronavirus situation, it's how do we protect jobs? How do we create more jobs and how do we protect businesses and help them to continue to trade and get through this most difficult time?
2: Mm, I suppose it's that creative thinking by the science of it and being able to have those different, those different ways of doing things um, Tees Valley has been left out, hasn't it, of the lockdown restrictions that have been imposed over kind of a lot of the northeast?
1: Yeah, no, we have. Um, so there was a, a a number of conversations that went on last week uh, between mm-hmm. the councils. Uh, the other seven northeast councils outside of the Tees Valley were very keen for the Tees Valley to be included. Uh, the five leaders of the Tees Valley councils were adamant they didn't want to be included. Uh, and again, uh, we had a number of conversations with the Secretary of State, uh, Matt Hancock to take our views on that so we we took a position that at this moment in time we didn't want to be included um which again shows that you know they were asking for our opinion and they listened because they didn't include us now that may or may not change because um you know things are getting slightly worse in places like Middlesbrough but um, yeah that also goes to show that okay government are clearly stepping in in other parts of the country but the relationship we've had with the uh, Department of Health has been one of collaboration and they asked for our opinion and while actually I think Matt Hancock would have liked us to have been included in the restrictions, they listened to our wishes and and agreed not to include us.
2: Absolutely, well more power to local representation, that's what I say Ben, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on Podzone Country, it's been really great to speak to you. It's a pleasure Joey. thanks for having me on Now let's head over to Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire based political editor to see what's going on on the ground in the local area
0: So it's time for another look at the local political scene in Yorkshire with the help of the Local Democracy Reporter Service. This week we're looking at Wakefield District, which is home to more than 300,000 people and has a fascinating political history all of its own. You'll remember it was one of the so-called Red Wall areas where the Conservatives made ground in the last general election. There's a whole lot more happening here than just that. Our reporter, who knows all about what's going on, is Dave Spill, who's been the local democracy reporter in Wakefield since April 2018. Dave, how how, how are you today? I'm uh, very well, thanks, Rob. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. Thank you. So we've <laughs> um you've you, you've prepared a, a few of the sort of talking points about what the the big political issues in Wakefield, and the first one is one that Yorkshire Post readers, I think, will be well familiar with. It's been an ongoing saga for a few months now and it's to do with uh, Wakefield Council's, um, their Approach to funding the uh, local tourism agency. Welcome to Yorkshire. What, what's what's going on with that at the moment?
3: Yes, yeah, so this is the, the the story last week um, that many many people will have seen. That um, obviously going back a little bit further. Welcome to Yorkshire asked um, sort of councils across Yorkshire for a one point four million pounds bailout. Um, they're in sort of dire financial straits at the moment. Um, Wakefield. Council, um, the, the cabinet um, meeting last week basically decided they weren't going to put any um, sort of further money in. It was um, seventy-eight thousand pounds they've been asked to um, to put in. Now they weren't the the, the first council um, to say they weren't going to help welcome to Yorkshire out, um, but I think last week Wakefield's refusal sort of c- captured um, sort of the headlines a little bit more than. Um, the others up in North Yorkshire that have, have gone before. Um, I think possibly because, sort of, some of the, the sound bites um, that sort of. Carried the, the imagination a bit. Um, there was talk of, of Welcome to Yorkshire kind of leading lavish lifestyles and, and all the rest of it. And um, Wakefield having not seen any benefit to, to membership of Welcome to Yorkshire. Um, but what was also interesting is that the, uh, the chair of um, Welcome to Yorkshire, Peter Box, was actually Wakefield Council's leader for, for 21 years until um, the end of last year. Um, so I think there was a sort of a, a big element of surprise um, that um, sort of Wakefield had said no um, and that they didn't uh, think it was worth sort of putting any any more money in. Um, so, it, I mean, it's, it's a huge uh, kind of snub for their, their former leader. But um, whatever the, the, the politics behind um, the, the thinking, I um, sense sort of from kind of the, the, the instant reaction on Twitter that to the Wakefield electorate, at least, it, it's it's not necessarily an unpopular decision. Um, £78,000, I think, is quite sort of small fry in terms of um, kind of council finances. You know, often we're, we're talking in kind of tens of millions of pounds, um, you know, especially a council the size of Wakefield. Um, but at the moment, obviously, with, um, you know, coronavirus having hit every, you know, every penny is under, under scrutiny.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was interesting, the whole dynamic with Peter Box now being uh, in, in uh, Welcome to Yorkshire. And I mean, I, I get the sense that his successor as Wakefield council leader, Denise Jeffery, is quite keen to draw a line between uh, Peter Box's time at the council and, and her own tenure. And I wonder if perhaps uh, refusing to fund Welcome to Yorkshire. It might be part of that that whole agenda
3: yeah i th- I think that's fair and, and some of the things I think we we're, we're going to come on to a little bit later on um kind of kind of demonstrate that that very point actually um so yeah it's um, certainly interesting i mean it, we should say you know welcome to Yorkshire did um, kind of respond. Um, to you know, to some of the comments that councillors made, and they they sort of pointed out that um, you know in the past you know they they said maybe that uh, kind of had an element of truth to it, but I think there's a, a common consensus that um, James Mason, who's the new chief executive, is doing a pretty good job um, in charge there. Um, but it's whether or not they can sort of shake off this um, sort of tag. Uh, you know, from the, the previous regime that's uh, obviously been gone. So, um, big question now is: uh, Will other councils follow suit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, as we're as as we're talking, uh, a few miles down the road in Doncaster, Keir Starmer, uh, the Labour leader, is giving his uh, party conference address to an empty an empty hall, uh, and and he is talking about he tr- he is also trying to draw a line between his. Regime and that of a, a former uh, a former leader, uh, and uh, obviously the background is that in the December general election, um, Wakefield uh, and uh, lots of other parts of Yorkshire saw previously impregnable seats uh, falling to the Conservatives. And uh, it, it, I mean, Wakefield was one of the more striking ones. Um, I mean, what what sense do you get about you know Labour's efforts to try and win? Uh, Wakefield back uh, after losing it for the first time in in decades.
3: Well, funnily enough, Kate Stommer was here um, not so long ago. Um, He he came on a a, a visit to to Wakefield College and um, he talked then about sort of the importance of Labour winning Wakefield back if uh, there's sort of any chance of of winning a majority at the the next election. I mean, it's... terribly interesting because um as you say it was 1932 was the the last time uh Wakefield didn't have a a Labour MP um so yeah it's a a very very long time for you know um sort of one party to to dominate um kind of any local area um and you you sense um sort of a lot of the national media coming in both before um december's election and um the bbc actually came up to to film their budget coverage in uh, march from from wakefield so you sense that um sort of the national media kind of picked up on wakefield as this um sort of yardstick uh you know for to how the, the the country might go um at the next election um so yeah i mean we'll, we'll uh, have to say obviously the uh, next election is probably 2024 so it's a long uh, right. Long old way away, but um, I think Labour kind of sort of know that they will have to make sort of serious inroads in places like this. So yeah, I think I think um, sort of the national media um, are sort of increasingly seeing Wakefield as this yardstick, um, you know, as as to how the the country might uh, might go at uh, sort of future elections. We even had um, Portuguese sort of media here uh, before the last election. So, um, you know, it wasn't just sort of uh, people, journalists from this country turning up. It was um, sort of, you know, countries from Europe were, were, were coming to Wakefield. Um, but I think from a, a voter perspective, uh, being in a swing seat all of a, a sudden isn't a particularly bad thing because it means sort of theoretically um, a government of any colour uh, would be more likely to listen to you know people in wakefield and you know we might be more likely to get um, some sort of investment Um, so from that uh, perspective it uh, it might not be too bad a thing
0: yeah absolutely and so so changing tack to uh, uh, sport and there's a big sort of sporting issue in wakefield obviously uh, um, a a rugby uh, hotbed and i i gather that there's um covid has delayed the long-awaited plans for uh, Wakefield Trinity to expand expand their ground. What what, what can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, it's a, I mean, this is um, a, an issue that's been going on for um, years and years. To be honest, Rob, it way you know sort of predates my my term in the job. Um, back in 2012, um, the club got planning permission to move to um, a new ground on the sort of green belt land just to the north of, of Wakefield um it was a 12,000 seat community stadium and at the time it was seen as you know um a big step for the the club um sort of i think the fans kind of sense that you know to um to be sustainable as a as a club and to sort of improve its prospects it needs to um to, to get a bigger ground um Obviously we know kind of all rugby league clubs are, are struggling at the moment what with with COVID, but this was this was gonna be a big thing. And then for whatever reason, the, the ground has never been built. Um and um the developers have never really spoken publicly or explained um why they haven't followed through. A lot of other things have been built um on the, the site around where the stadium was gonna be, and that's um caused a lot of frustration and anger, um I think to supporters. Um so in the end in twenty 20- 18, I think it was, um, the council um, basically lent uh, the club money to buy their current Bellevue home off um, a third party. Um, and that took a, an interesting twist um, earlier this year when um, that third party is a, a chap called uh, Manny Hussain. Um, he had all his um, assets frozen by the National Crime Agency, um, and they're now investigating um, the deal that saw the club buy the, the stadium. Um, as part of their sort of ongoing probing team. Um, That's obviously an ongoing legal process, so we can't say too much about that. Um, But essentially, aside from that, the idea was that the club were going to buy their own grounds and then redevelop the the land around it so that that um, sort of ambition of having a a community stadium could be realised. But then come March and uh, coronavirus pandemic and that's uh, that's been stalled very sadly um and, uh, and the bottom line you know all this this kind of mess that's been going on for the last decade or so is that the fans have really suffered and you you know you have to sympathize with them because they've sort of been promised a lot of things that um haven't really come to fruition so um let's hope when all this is over that um that they can get that that stadium that they want
0: yeah absolutely well I guess there's a, a slight link between uh that uh yeah covid and uh, your next uh, talking point which is um china uh, obviously where the uh, covid uh, covid pandemic uh, started I, I i gather there's a bit of a row over whether wakefield should be cutting its ties with um a city in in china because of human rights uh, human rights concerns what what's going on there
3: yeah so um this was um basically last year um Wakefield under um Peter Box's um regime formed a um partnership with Nanning City in China. And um it was sort of one of these um sort of town twinning exercises where, you know, sort of dignitaries from um from over there sort of came here and uh, there was um, sort of a ceremony and um kind of exchanging of gifts and, and that kind of thing. And um, now there's sort of a row brewing about um, whether or not that relationship should be continued in light of the um, sort of China's treatment of um, Uyghur Muslims in the, the region. Um, there's, I have to say there's very strong views about it on both sides in the, the, the council chamber. Um, you know, I, I think this is kind of a big question for a lot of organisations going forward, actually, because... Um, you know how far does having a relationship with um a foreign city uh kind of condone what you know the the, the kind of stuff that might be happening in that country um it, we sort of saw it recently with um the proposed takeover of Newcastle by you know the the Saudi Arabian uh, consortium and um kind of the the backlash there there was to that um so it's it's very interesting i mean the the sort of the argument is that by kind of being in this relationship, um, you know, we're sort of effectively condoning what's what's um, you know what's happening over there. Um, on the other hand, um, the the other view is that um, you know we kind of need these sort of ties with with foreign cities, especially after Brexit. You know, for, for cultural purposes, for for business purposes, to. Um, you know kind of get trade flowing into your know, different parts of the world. Um and it should be said that the city actually donated 4000 items of PPE to Wakefield um at the height of the pandemic when local hospital workers here were really struggling to to get any. Um so it, it's it's uh, I understand it's that's uh, going to go towards um to full council next week and there's going to be um a bit of talk about it. The council did um kind of start a public consultation about it. And I think that will actually have a huge bearing on um, which way they, they go on this.
0: Interesting. That is, uh, I'll, I'll be watching that one with interest, certainly. And um, So the, your, your final um, topic, which is big in Wakefield, it's big in a lot of places. It's, it's a big issue in Westminster as well. HS2, the, uh, I don't need to tell people what it is, obviously the controversial high-speed rail project linking London and uh, theoretically, uh, Manchester and Leeds as well. But obviously, it has to run through uh, West Yorkshire uh, to get to to get to Leeds. And the uh, I, I gather that Wakefield is uh, Wakefield's position on HS2 is kind of uh, setting it apart from the rest of the rest of the county. What, what's going on with that?
3: Yeah that's right so i mean we're talking about something that every councillor in Wakefield agrees um they absolutely hate HS2 um the um the conservative opposition leader on the council actually called it a load of rubbish when it was uh, it was debated um in the chamber a couple of years ago um and the, i mean the, the crucial point is that um i think many people in Wakefield feel that um they will get the the route potentially coming through um, sort of the the south of Wakefield, but they're not going to feel any of the, the benefits um from it. Um and I think what the, the council has, has sort of said is that a lot of the money that that's being spent um should be you know redirected into to local transport. Um because there is a feeling and I, I think it's it's quite valid actually that um sort of buses and trains between the different towns um in the district that make up you know the Wakefield district and the c- connectivity between between them is um, really quite poor. I mean, I got on the bus to uh, Nottingley um, a couple of years ago um, to go to an event, and it took me an hour. And as the crow flies, Wakefield and Nottingley are only about ten miles apart. Um, I tried to go to Castleford recently, and um, it was uh, I missed the train by quite literally two seconds and the next one was in an hour so and uh, you know economists will often tell you about the the links between good public transport and and you know a, a city's economy and um i think that's that that's essentially the frustration with hs2 is that uh, i think uh, you know the economy here would really benefit from having you know trains and buses that were more frequent more regular um and HS2 isn't going to sort of solve any of those problems. Um, so, yeah, um, interesting to see what happens. It's, it does, as you say, put it at odds with um, the other councillors in West Yorkshire who are really keen on it. Um, and I think um, it's sort of well known by now that the London to Birmingham route is uh, is kind of well on its way. Whether or not we will get the, the Birmingham to Leeds route, um, who's who knows? Um, but, yeah, that's the that's the position at the moment
0: that's that is interesting. Well, I think I guess we'll we'll know more about that hopefully uh, towards the end of the year when the government publishes its uh, integrated rail plan which sets out how HS2 is going to link up with other things. But I guess it, it it ties in with going back to to covid and the extent to which uh the pandemic is changing the way we we get about. Perhaps there's an argument uh, that that these big uh infrastructure projects sort of linking different cities maybe that's that, that's not not where we ought to be looking anymore I guess we'll 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 find out more about that in the in the coming months well um, dave thank you thank you very much for that that is a a a, a great insight into what's going on in in wakefield and i think um there's there are a few things that i'll be keeping an eye out for in the in in the coming weeks so we'll we we'll, we'll, i hope we, we'll be able to check in again with you in uh you know in in a, in a few months' time see how some of these things have have progressed. So, um thank you again for your time and um thank you thank you for listening and we'll we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and you can find this podcast wherever you usually get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google, and now also Amazon podcasts, which are very exciting new listing for us this week. I would really love it if you had the time to leave us a review, to subscribe and to share and tell your friends, because it really helps to boost us in the charts. And we'll be back next week. See you then.
0: This weekend at Augusta, it's the Masters. And with 50% off a Now Sports membership, you can catch every, 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 and every. Watch all four days of the Masters live with 50% off a Now Sports membership for three months, bringing you all 11 Sky Sports channels. Join in at nowtv.com. 18 plus streamed via internet offer ends 2nd of May. Standard pricing after three months.